to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish that book you have been working on. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid. The official editing software of the bestseller experiment, Pro Writing Aid, is so much more than the grammar checker. It's a style editor and writing mentor all in one package. And what's more, it works with Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, Open Office, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all you lot. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Get your discount today at prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. And I've been using it. All week. It's been a lifesaver. I love me a bit of pro writing aid. It's absolutely fantastic. And this week, Mr. Stowe, you've been, uh, you've been our, not a roving reporter, but a roaming ha 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 reporter. (laughs) (laughs) You had a a little bit of break, didn't you? I did. I've been to, to Rome, never been there before. It was our 25th wedding anniversary. And, um, yeah, we, we, we explored Rome, the Colosseum and the history, and it's inspiring stuff. If you've never been there, it's just layers and layers. Wh- whichever way you turn, there's, there's just something amazing. Uh, just incredible. The Colosseum. I had a wonderful wonderful and sad experience in the Colosseum because I, I walked in there. It's awesome, and it opened up, and it's just amazing. And then I got a message from my sister as I was walking around saying, is it true that Terry Jones from Monty Python has died? And I was like, oh, no. And, of course, Life of Brian, there are scenes, not in the Colosseum, but, of course, in in a Colosseum. You know, it's all about the Romans and everything. It's one of my favourite films. And I was suddenly struck with this sadness as I was walking around because Terry Jones loved history. I've got some of his books on history. I've I've used them in research. So, um, yeah, it was was, it's up and down. But, yes, I'm back. I think we'll dedicate dedicate this show to Terry Jones today. Yeah. What an amazing... um, incredible comedian and uh, brought so many laughs to well to people all around the world people talk about Monty Python over in North America they're just huge into Monty Python as well and it's yeah I was very sad to read that as well but um let's focus on what we've got coming up let's give people a little bit of a preview of all the exciting things we're going to be talking about today so our guest today a little teaser our guest today has sold over four million copies as a author and had 16 of her books in the top 50 Kindle. So you're going to want this. A great interview. We won't say any more until we get to that. And we're also going to talk a little bit about um, what's happening in the BXP 2020 challenge. Now, if you're new to this podcast and you haven't heard about this challenge, it's basically a challenge to write 200 words a day for the whole of the year. And this show's going out beginning of February. Now, if you haven't signed up, we're encouraging people to sign up as close to the beginning of the month as possible so that you can start in the month and try to get a streak of at least that month's words, because what we're finding is it's changing the way people are writing, isn't it, Mark? Mm. Uh, the, the feedback online every day. Now, folks, follow the hashtag BXP2020 on Twitter for this. Um, 
Laura Bradbury, who is at author underscore LB. Tricky week life-wise, but wrote over 10,000 words. Thanks, BXP 2020. Join us. Jan Carr, who is at Jan Carr, says, uh, the challenge is so working for me. I can really see this book finished. And what's great about the 200 or so words I'm banking nearly every day, I've only missed two days since Jan 1st of January, is they're actually, actually readable by someone other than me. Unlike my NaNoWriMo drafts. Thank you for self-experiment. <laughs> um, we've had uh, Jackie Kirkham uh, she's also hit the 10,000 word mark uh, Tammy Mercer Gervais says I'm writing every day which is amazing knowing that a minimum I only need 200 words has really helped me I know I can carve out 15 minutes no matter what the day throws at me Ed Howard is up to 20,000 words and a 27 day writing streak Amelia Vincent written at least 200 words every day really close to the end of what's shaping up to be a longer novella than planned uh, Ranto who is at Orti Get The Now on Twitter uh, says topped 10,000 words today the most this is the most fiction I've ever written plot is all over the place but I'm liking my main character more and more she may even get a name soon uh, <laughs> that's brilliant and, and, and Claire now Claire while she's with us in Rome, we didn't do any writing, uh, but she she caught up over the weekend. And just today, she said, I wrote 465 words today. Uh, I've just passed 10,000 words in total. So, you know, one seventh of the way there, only six sevenths to go. So she wants to hit, she's got a target of, you know, 70, 70 odd thousand words. And um, she spent her day planning a, a lovely, juicy murder. So uh, hopefully I'll still be here for the next episode. <laughs> That's brilliant. Isn't it inspiring to hear about all these people? That when I, I mean, we're recording this, we're not at the even at the end of January yet and when we're recording this and people have already topped 10,000 words. Yeah. So many people. Yeah, yeah. And yet, and yet 200 words a day for people like myself that need to get the calculator out, 200 words a day is just over 6,000 words in the month. So you can see how on average people are knocking this out of the park. Typically we're seeing two to three times that average. Once people start writing, as we said before, once you get your, your bum in the chair, you start writing, you will typically knock out more than 200. So it's an incredibly achievable challenge. And today's word of the day is in the Sesame Street style, today's word of the day, and that's the word we were talking about before we, we went live with this. This challenge liberates writers. Mm. It liberates us to in get back and enjoy the writing process again. We're not being asked to attain some incredibly impossible number. It's not taking over our lives, which a lot of challenges tend to. This is a liberating challenge. So if you're listening to this and you are a writer or you want to be a writer, and remember, to be a writer, all you have to do is write. There's nothing else you have to do. And you are not signed up to the BXP 2020 challenge. I want to ask a question. Very simply, in one word. Why? Why are you not doing this? It works, folks. It absolutely works. So get yourself over to bxp2020.com and sign up now. Because as you heard from, from Mark just then, people are going to be finishing their book, 70,000 word novel, for example. They're going to be finishing their book like midway into summer. We were hoping mm. people might, might, might crack the book by the end of December. But... Some people are talking about finishing two, even three books in the year where they haven't ever finished one before. So this mm. challenge works and we want to get as many people doing it as possible. Just to let everyone know, we are about to hit our two millionth word. So if you are submitting your word count every day, you might be the one that gets announced probably on the next show as being the person that submitted the two millionth word. So keep submitting every single day. If you miss a day of submitting, just add it in to what you're doing as a separate um, entry. So just do two entries on one day and it all gets collated at our end. 
And the other thing with this, this is all backed up by science, proper science. Uh, our next live show, which is going to be on Thursday, 6th of February at 8 to 9 p.m. GMT, uh, it's 12 noon PST, it's uh, 3 p.m. EST. We're going to be joined by Beck Evans. Beck was previously a guest on a deep dive, episode 199, talking about her book, How to Have a Happy Hustle. Since then, she surveyed over 3,500 authors about their writing habits, and she's discovered some incredibly useful data on how writing little and often can improve your productivity and creativity as a writer. So we're going to be talking about things like toggling, tiny habits, micro-challenges, and being spontaneous. So come and join us on that live show. I'll put a link in the show notes to give you an idea how to sign up for that. That's for our chart topper patrons that's it's that's a perk of being a chart topper patrons you get invited to those live shows and they are really really good fun they're really inspiring and you're going to come away thinking about how much easier writing that novel is going to be absolutely and thank you as well we should say thank you to all our patrons as well and everyone who's been signing up over the last few weeks to support our show and if you want to get involved you can simply go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and read about all the perks and lovely benefits you get by being a wonderful patron of this show so mr stay let's talk about our incredible guest today l j ross oh this is so exciting now you remember we had that wonderful episode where ian sainsbury he won the kindle uh, storyteller award which was just amazing well lj ross uh was i think she was one of the judges on this certainly i, I bumped into an and being you know with my podcast hat on i just went oh, come on our show come on our show uh so uh, she very kindly uh deigned to come on the show and it's an incredible story and as you say just before christmas she tweeted that all 16 of her books were in the uk kindle top 50 and she sold over 4 million copies and uh this is just you know since 2015 her first book was published so it's five years or so so we talk about the storyteller award she's launched her own award which you might want to listen about she set up her own imprint we have listener questions where we talk about pricing marketing strategy being amazon exclusive there's a ton of stuff in this so shall we jump in mr d let's jump in listening to mr stay chatting with lj ross lj ross welcome to the bestseller experiment how are you today hello hello thank you for having me i'm very well thank you it's our absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Now, listeners, you might get a little burble in the background there. You're in a very special place, aren't you, today? I am. I'm in the depths of Northumberland. I, uh, I'm on my way back from uh, ghost hunting at Tillingham Castle last night, which I'm, I hear is the most haunted castle in the land. Um, I'm not a believer myself, but it was, uh, yes, a very interesting night. So I'm on my way back from there and I'm in Annick, which uh, some readers might recognise as being the place where um, they filmed part of Harry Potter. I love Annick Castle. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Just that whole area, it's, it's, it's uh, inspirational stuff, isn't it? If you're a writer, you, you definitely have to go there, folks. And it's also got a wonderful poison garden as well, the only one in the country. So this is your, this is your life now. You're going to castles, you're ghost hunting, you're, uh, you're doing research and stuff like that. Now, you put a thing on Twitter the other day. Uh, you said there was oh a bit Lord, of an LJ... <laughs> <laughs> this is wonderful. You said there's a bit of an LJ Ross takeover on the Kindle store with all 16 of my books in the UK top 50. As I tried to come to terms with this incredible phenomenon, two words seem to replay in a constant loop in my mind. Thank you. Now, yes. am I right in thinking your first book was Holy Island, which came out in 2015? You are, yes. It came out on the 1st of January 
15, start of a new year. And uh, as I was later to learn, a, a whole new life, really. <laughs> so we're four, nearly five years on yes. from your first book, and now all 16 of them are in the top 50. No, it's crazy when you put it like that. When you say it aloud, it's, it sounds crazier <laughs> when you say it. <laughs> I know. I'm a very, as I say, a very lucky woman. Well, I mean, uh, we often ask authors, you know, when you started that, did you have a plan? Did you have a game plan? Did you have an ambition? I guess you don't even start thinking about ambitions like that, do you? What What was your What was your first impetus to get writing? Um, well, to be honest with you, I mean, I was I was a barrister before, so I was working in finance in London, and um, I think probably the only thing I ended up thinking was life's too short for this. Um, <laughs> I needed to change, you know. So, I mean, originally we'd kind of thought I'd take a bit of a sabbatical and we'd do a bit of travel. That's my um, what well, was my fiance now husband back then, um, and you know we, we kind of just thought you know um, perhaps. We'd, uh, we'd take a break, go traveling, things like that. But actually, as it turns out, we, we were expecting um, my son, who's now six. And uh, I also decided to start writing and doing different things, really. Um, I think the thing about creative professions is that people you know, they often have a desire to enter them and they want to sort of try to write write that book you wanted to write or paint that painting. But it feels, for some people, myself included, as a bit of a luxury um, or something that's not serious, you know. But actually, I, I think if you give yourself the space to do it, you can approach it, as we now know, very professionally, very seriously. Um, and so at the time, it felt like a luxury to, to start writing, but I just fell into it um, very deeply, as it turned out, and surprised myself with how much I ended up loving loving the whole process of writing that first book um but then actually obviously it was scarier than when you have written the book because you think oh my gosh I've got to do something with it now (laughs) yes quiet so you you took that sabbatical you were probably being a barrister I suspect you you had a life of routine did you set up a a sort of a daily routine for writing what did you set yourself daily targets what motivated you every day no, I was the exact opposite, I have to say. Um, I know, I, I, I think you'll find this with me as we chat. I am a slightly non-conformist. Um, no, I, I think because I had, as you say, been in such a routine, one of the key things for me was that I didn't want to be um, sort of playing to anybody's fiddle, even my own, anymore. And I think that was part of what, what actually spurred me on to write more was the feeling of reduced stress because I think when you sometimes do set yourself targets it can work in two ways it can either spur you on and some people find that very effective or it can um, create a stressor and for me I think at that time just coming out of quite a high stress environment I think if I had set myself um, 5,000 words a day 3,000 words a day or whatever and then I hadn't met that I'd have felt you know all kinds of failure so uh, for me actually not having those in place was incredibly liberating and, and actually spurred me on to write more oddly <laughs> <laughs> freeing yourself up to do your own thing that's that, yeah, was, exactly. that was the key yeah yeah but did did you have a plan for book one did, were you thinking okay i'll send it to an agent and then try and get published or did you decide to go down the uh indie author route self-publishing route straight away well, it's funny casting your mind back. You know, it seems um, you know it seems strange five years ago. Back then, I knew absolutely nothing about the publishing world. I was entirely new to the whole scene. Um, so even the term indie publishing, I, I just didn't know that. You know, so what I thought was I had this book that was in sort of reasonable shape, um, or, or so I thought back then. It probably wasn't. It could have done with another couple of rounds of editing. But um, I thought to myself, uh, okay, what do, what do people normally do at this point? Don't they send 
handed off to agents. Isn't that what people do? So um, I, I found, I went online and did a bit of a search and went on writers and artists and all that and found myself a mere 12 agents um, and actually a couple of publishers as well whose rules I flouted and sent them direct to them anyway. Um, <laughs> because, you know, again, with the non-conformism. <laughs> so I just thought, I'll just send it off. I mean, what are they going to do? Arrest me? Um, so I kind of sent, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I sent it off to a bunch and uh, actually again I realised what a small number that is because you know in le- later on I found out that people like J.K. Rowling sent it off to you know a good couple of hundred people I understand and for me 12 was more than enough I thought gosh I'm not writing this all day in day out so um, I sent it off and uh, and actually I was really lucky I had quite a lot of positive feedback back and um, the thing that kept coming back in terms of agents was we'd be happy to represent you but the, this book is straddling two different genres so holy island was straddling probably romantic suspense and straightforward crime fiction and they said well normally those two don't meet you know you shouldn't have romance in a crime novel and i said well i quite like this romance in a crime novel and so they said well we've got a problem <laughs> So, uh, you know, so I thought, kind of thought to myself, well, this is a tricky dilemma. And then, um, you know, a very small press offered me a deal, which I thought at the time, isn't this the holy grail? Shouldn't I be really delighted about having this offer? And aren't I really ungrateful to feel that the deal isn't all that that wonderful? And, you know, again, this is perhaps the lawyer's head uh, was looking at this contract and I sort of thought to myself well actually yeah I'm not really sure that this book would ever be seen because there were no assurances as to you know distribution or marketing or anything like this so and they and obviously you're giving away your rights in perpetuity and I thought gosh this is a terrible deal but then I realized it's sort of standard you know standard for a debut author and and from their perspective I suppose understandably so because you're not tried at that point um and in terms of investment level how, how could they know how you've been received so from my perspective, though, I, thought, I felt a little bit deflated and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And then it was actually my husband who um, alerted me to the fact that there was such a thing as Kindle Direct Publishing. Um, and I mean, at the time I had a Kindle um, and used it, but I didn't know that they had this uh, this indie publishing platform at all. So I had a quick look at it and the terms of service, I just, you know, I scratched my head and I thought, is this some sort of, is, is this a kind of can camera moment? You know, because it seems <laughs> like an, an, a no brainer. I mean, why, why isn't everybody doing this? You know, where's the catch? And there was no catch. I just thought this just seems like an entirely risk free approach um, where you retain all of your rights in the IP. Um, crucially, you um, you know the royalty rate is so much higher. Um, I retain control over every element of my book, which I've you know laboured over by this point for about 18 months. And I thought, well, you know, it, you're in a rolling contract. In my case, I signed up to KDP Select, and I've always remained that way. Um, you know, it's a rolling 90-day contract. What's to lose? You know, if it doesn't work out, then I've lost nothing. So I decided to to go for it. And uh, quite frankly, I've never looked back. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was life changing. I find it really interesting that you held your nerve there because authors, so many of us, we're like wallflowers at the disco. And if someone asks us for a dance, we're like, yeah, 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 great. <laughs> so if, if you do get an offer from a publisher, the temptation just to go, yeah, someone wants me, let's go. But you held your nerve there, which is, and again, I think you're right, it's your lawyer mind there kicking in because. Again, nine out of 10 authors will sign anything, which is why if you are going to sign with a publisher, get an agent because, you know, yeah. they will they will be the bad guy on your behalf and do that negotiation for you. So how was Holy Island received? What was uh, did you have any kind of plan going into it? Any kind of marketing plan? 
Well, um, once again, and I, your listeners will be chuckling to themselves when I tell you my entire lack of planning where <laughs> Holy Island's released. Because again, you know, stepping back in time, it's just a, a total ignorance of the whole world of indie publishing. I mean, I, di- I didn't do, you know, any SBF courses or anything like this. I mean, I didn't even know they existed. Um, I just, I just come to it. Um, entirely fresh and and just thought to myself okay i follow the instructions on kdp you're supposed to get a cover sorted out right so what i did was i thought i had a look on the kindle store and i saw what was at the time quite a a trend for muted cover design in um, crime fiction of course five years on now everything is really brightened up correlation Mm. i don't know um but it was at the time it was quite muted and i thought well it doesn't really stand out to me you know when you're when you're glancing in the eyes with the eyes of a reader so i thought well what about if we just brightened it up and what about if we had it quite a sort of fine art photography cover as opposed to you know something else so we went up my husband and i on i think it was new year's eve must have been 2014 couple of days or day before uh, Holy Island was published so we turned it around quite quickly we were on Holy Island the tides were in and we were cut off and we got up at dawn to take that picture of Lindisfarne Castle that's on the cover now although I will say at this point that I wish that I knew the difference between civil dawn and nautical dawn because apparently that means the difference between standing around for an hour in the dark (laughs) four o'clock in the morning um, rather than just uh, getting up just in time you know so yeah that was a lesson learned for future dawn photography Uh, (laughs) but that cover yeah I mean it didn't really need anything uh, you know doing it was just that sort of silhouette of, of Linda Swan was exactly what I wanted for it and the dawn behind it and and just uh you know I was sort of fairly savvy with things like Photoshop and we thought at the time well let's just give it a go and actually it, it ended up really really working and doing doing the trick at the time so first of January put some sales copy together we sort of looked around again did I did a little bit of market research I suppose had a look at similar sort of books or things that I felt were quite similar and had a look at how they were selling them and then um, put something together and uh, whacked it up there on the 1st of January and thought well you know what let's just see how it goes and um, and on the first day there must have been about 25 sales that was all friends and family right. <laughs> and, so, and I sort of uh you know, at that point, I'd oh, one of the things I'd done is I'd set up this fledgling blog. So I'd never blogged before in my life, but I'd read about Andy, Andy Weir and The Martian and things like that and E.L. Mm. James, and they've had this blog going. So I thought, well, I better give it a try. And I mean, I don't know. I must have had about 100 followers, something like that. Um, but, you know, the great thing about it was that I only did it for about three months before the release. And, you know, of that 100, I think a good 80 of them went on and, and eventually bought the book. So although it was wow. such a small scale, it, it had quite a good follow through, you know. So I imagine that if I'd had a more established blog or something that was just bigger, I think it would have, would have had even more impact early on. Um, <clears throat> but in my case, it was really very much like a snowball picking up momentum because of those first 25 and then you know a few more over the next couple of weeks the momentum just really built 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 and it went from being absolutely nowhere in the store to being about 180 on its own steam and that happened across about three and a half months and at that point amazon's algorithm must have seen that it was flying on its own and they they gave it the final push and put it in there i think it was the may madness deal um and that's really what pushed it to number one and um and that made all the difference, really. So it was a combination of both. 
Wow. Okay. I've got a few listener questions, if we can go through those, if that's okay. Sure, um, absolutely. Now, the first one I've already stolen from Angela. Angela Nurse says she'd like to know if you had a marketing strategy before you put Holy Island on Kindle, and, and you've answered that clearly. It was just kind of... Interestingly, though, that you put it out on New Year's Day. That period between Boxing Day and New Year's is actually a very good time for sales because lots of people have new devices new kindles and they're on the lookout for stuff to buy so did were you aware of that at the time um well no one had told me that but i think that is something that we'd sort of observed ourselves so a lot of this i mean when i when i sort of speak to people now i think holy island is really a lesson in old-fashioned marketing Mm -hmm. it sort of proves that there is still that word of mouth marketing going on people Mm -hmm. still do that behind the scenes and that's really the only explanation for a lot of how you know, Holy Island got up to about 180 in the store because it was people telling people. I had a very fledgling author platform at that time. I didn't have, you know, um, a marketing list or an email list to, to get across to anybody directly. Um, you know, my Facebook author page, I set up around about the same time, likewise Twitter. So, you know, I think there's something to be said for those old fashioned marketing techniques and just getting your sales copy right, getting a cover right, just getting the very basics in place as much as you possibly can is is still vital. You know? Absolutely. And having had that boost from uh, the Kindle May Madness promotion, did you go on to do any advertising after that or did it continue to flywheel and, and keep that momentum going? It continued really, and it was uh, it really sort of hung in there for quite a while. Um, I think it was number one for a week or a week and a half or two, maybe, um, and then it sort of hung around for for quite a while in this top sort of twenty thirty. And so by this time, I was getting a lot more contact from readers, which was in itself um, a whole new world because, of course, every every element of this is new to me. So was getting a lot of contact through my new author page. Um, you know, Facebook numbers were really rising. Um, people were emailing me. They were finding my, my again, my very fledgling website at the time. They were finding me and sending me emails. And, and everyone was sort of asking, well, when's the second book coming out? And, I mean, I hadn't really consciously thought about writing a series. When I was writing Holy Island, I just wanted to be able to write a book, you know, and be able to finish it and see if I could get through it. I hadn't really had had that sort of thought process or, or allowed myself to think too far ahead because I suppose it's I suppose it's protection as well isn't it you know mm. there's a defense mechanism there I think as a writer you know particularly in the indie sphere you are a business person but at the same time you are still that you know that creative mind where you have to sort of protect yourself to a degree from disappointment um, and putting yourself out there every time and here we are 16 books on it's still difficult every time and people often ask me you know does it get any easier yes and no you know i think that element of putting your work out there is never easier really because it is always um, an extension of yourself at what point were you thinking i better get on with book two was there a, a tipping point where you felt okay this there's really something in this now this is no longer a sabbatical this is a job yeah i mean absolutely i think when it i think when it did hit number one i thought okay and well actually perhaps earlier than that when it got to the top 200 i thought actually i'm not twisting anybody's arm to buy this book right you know, people must must be genuinely enjoying it so perhaps i should start thinking about making this a, a sort of a long-term future and so i had been thinking around and and actually at the end of holy island the epilogue that i write there really sort of leaves the door open a crack to a, to a sequel mm. and so i think i must have done that subconsciously sort of thinking well <laughs> just in case you know yeah. um so and that was great because it meant that i could 
crack open the door a bit wider to think about all the stories. And, and the moment that I did that, loads of stories began to flow. And I thought, okay, I've definitely got something here. And really, apart from everybody else, it was a feeling that actually I, I love what I'm doing here. I'm really loving this job, you know, and that's such a satisfying feeling to find. Um, particularly having come from a profession where, although I, I felt that I'd, I'd done a good job, I couldn't really say that I'd loved it, you know. So right. that was a, a really satisfying moment. Um, and so, yes, when, when Holy Island really started to sell in, in quantity like that, I thought um, there's obviously a market for it. Absolutely. We have a question from Cueve, Cueve McDonald. Uh, he says, why does LJ keep her books priced at one ninety nine? Obviously, it works brilliantly, but I just wondered if uh, you did a lot of testing to decide on that price point. So one ninety nine is the sweet spot. Have you experimented with higher, lower kind of pricing? Um, well, when Holy Island first went on, it was around about £2.50, something like that. So slightly more expensive, about a pound. Um I think really, again, I just looked around um, uh, what the market was doing, you know, for ebooks and um, similar books. And, and actually, uh, like you said, I just found like 199 was a sweet spot. And I, I know that um, some people have written to me and said, oh, you know, you could, sell, you could sell your books for more. Yes, I know. But I think for me, it's two things. Um, well, the first and, and key for me is that the reader is king. And I always have wanted my books to be accessible. And I think in terms of reader psychology, people who do read on the Kindle tend to read in large quantities, you know, because it is um, it's a case of sort of in you're in the habit of reading and you're flipping through books really, really quickly and they are great readers. And I've found that with my readers too, that, you know, they will pre-order with a click and they're straight in there and, you know, and then where's the next one within a couple of days, you know. So, and so, but that that's wonderful and you'll never hear me complain about it. But the thing about it is, though, that there's obviously a swiftness to their style of reading. And I think that that psychology feeds into pricing strategy because, you know, if you are a reader who does like to read many books, there's going to be a point where of affordability for your lifestyle, you know, as a bibliophile like that. There's going to be a point where if every book or every ebook is $4.99, really that starts to add up. Whereas actually, if it's more affordable, then you can read in great quantity and continue to be in the habit of reading. This also feeds into another sort of element of how I view, you know, uh, the world of publishing or particularly indie publishing as well, that actually I don't think there's any sort of, or there shouldn't be any competition between authors. Not everyone sort of agrees with this and you can sort of tell in it within the sort of world of, of publishing that there's a sort of, um, uh, like a protectionist territorialism sometimes. And I think that's misplaced. I think that reader habits, you want your readers to be in the habit of reading. And if they're not reading your things, they're reading someone similar so that when your next book comes out, they'll be ready for you. The last yeah. thing you want is them to go off and watch television, you know, for example. That's mm. the real sort of enemy to reading, as it were. Yes, we had, we had an interview with Joe Hill very early on, and he said, have you seen what's on Netflix? That's what you're up against, you know. So it's, yeah. uh, it's all about keeping you Completely agree with him, yes. Yeah. Um, Paul Arduin sends in a couple of questions. Uh, he, he's curious about you being Amazon exclusive. You said very early on you signed up with uh, KDP Select. Have you ever considered going wide with your books? I mean, I saw you've launched an imprint, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, perhaps. Uh, but have you considered going with Apple and Google and Kobo and the like? Yeah, I mean, I had a look at that. But I think um, for me it was just – it was. Uh, 
quite a base consideration. The, the first thing is that um, Amazon have the greatest market share. So, um, you know, just from a sort of an outside objective perspective, if you're if you're going to go with with any of them, particularly back when I was taking these decisions, but I do routinely look at the marketplace, as you can imagine. I still think that they they have the main market share, and so you know, as a, as an independent author, it makes sense for me to capitalize on that as best I can. It's always worked very well for me, and so you know, I've been able to take advantage of KDP Select in terms of you know uh, the various competitions that you can do, the various price reductions, things like that, from time to time. And it's always, as I say, it's always worked well for me. You know, I'm I'm somebody who, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I think that really though, and this applies to lots of different questions about publishing. It can be a case of what what works for the individual, you know, and, and everybody's, I suppose, individual marketplace is slightly different, slightly nuanced, and it can depend on what you're writing. It can depend on lots of different factors, but in in my case, remaining exclusive has always worked very very well, and also sort of ties in, as I say, with just looking at uh, at the market share. Paul uh, goes on. He's asking about newsletters, advertising, third-party sites like BookBub and Free Booksy. But I guess if you're with KDP Select, do you need to use those external promotion sources, or, or are you taking full advantage of the Amazon uh, kind of uh, sphere? Um, I would say that I've, I've rarely needed to. Um, I have in the past when I was starting, uh, really getting going. I tried. Um, what did I try? I think I've had a BookBub before. The thing that I, I find about BookBub, and obviously I, I know that this can be very helpful for some people, but in my case, and I've, I've only used it once, I think that it can be great. I used it in America, I should say, um, mm-hmm. because uh, my readership tends to be quite established in the UK and Australia. Right. It's um, quite established in America, but you know it's growing as well. So I thought, well, perhaps this would give it a boost. And it did, and it's the sort of thing that I think can give you quite a swift boost, but it's, it's not necessarily something that can level level out into sustainability. So I speak to quite a lot of authors who do find the same, that it can be a huge flash, but only for a day, and then it'll sort of die down again quite quickly. Whereas, you know, I also wouldn't be surprised to find, uh, I, don't, I don't know that this is true, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to find that the Amazon algorithm um, in wanting to protect its, uh, I suppose, protect its bestseller list from sort of interference would be sort of looking at, at sort of things like that to make sure that um, there's no sort of interference. So uh, I think anything that can be slightly disruptive like that is, is not necessarily something that can be helpful. It can be helpful in the short term, I would say. So it's not something that I've, I've necessarily invested in. Yeah, I, we've heard this before. This kind of Amazon responds much better, it seems, to a steady tick of sales, daily sales every day. The peaks are great if you've got a particular promotion on, but it's, um, it, I think it used to have an effect, certainly when we spoke to people like Mark Edwards, that, that kind of fly will have helped them get started. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Paul's final question, he was just asking, how long before a release do you start promoting your books? I mean, you, you started out with a blog, but you've got uh i presume you've got a newsletter now you've got a fan base that you, you have close links with um actually uh again was the old non-conformism <laughs> um, yeah i uh, i so i have the uh i have my facebook page which has uh, quite a few thousand on there as you can imagine um got the twitter got all that but i also have my mailing list which is quite established now um and i sort of started that up quite quickly after holy island to i, I mean i sort of it's common sense really i know that a lot of people who are within the 
community sphere aware of these things now, but casting my mind back, it was really a lot of these decisions were common sense decisions. And so that if people are getting in touch, I looked to Amazon itself as to how they had worked their retail business and why it was so effective. And it seemed to me that having direct access to individual emails was absolutely key in being able to market. And I thought, well, there's no reason why this can't happen for us as well. You know, and I had a look at things like MailChimp. It seemed to be what a lot of people had used. And I thought, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. So that's that's the reason why I sort of started on that line and got that together. But, you know, now when I'm bringing out new books, it, it really does help. And I say this slightly as a disclaimer. It helps to have had that first book do so well because then you capture a readership that gives you a little head start. But even authors, you know, who are building cumulatively release upon release. In my case, I have a very interactive relationship particularly on on Facebook and I am quite responsive with my readership I think the demographic of the, the people who read my books are quite discursive you know which which helps because it's very much in keeping with my personal style um the writing style even you know it's um softly humorous so you know we have a good relationship in general I would say with my readership but things like newsletters I think that it's not something that I would say no to in the future but what I've always done is when people say sign up to my subscription list, I've always kept it extremely simple that I only ever market just uh, when I'm bringing out a Mm pre-order and when the book itself comes out. I keep it absolutely simple and it's exactly what it says on the tin. Um, You know, so that then I think that the more emails that you're sending out, oh, and it's a newsletter this month, I think that would have to be very, very separate. And it can be another way of indirect marketing. It's not a it's not a bad idea, but it's something that I haven't sort of needed to do um, just yet. On my website, I have it linked to the blog, and I have done periodically, I've, I've put posts out there that are sort of newslettery style. Um, so it's, it's an equivalent, I would say, but it's really just another... A way to sort of keep people engaged um, but in terms of direct marketing I've never used a newsletter to do that I've always kept it very simple and very straightforward because then I think it's it's just one click away from the sale as it were Very good, I've got a couple of questions last uh, questions from our listeners uh, Darius Matthew Darius uh, said I would like to ask how LJ tests her story ideas, so what's the process now, do you have editors, beta readers that you work with before publication? <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, well, in terms of testing the story, I, I would love to say that I'm, I'm really high tech and, and all of that. And it's different for everybody. Um, I test my story by writing the book description first. That's the first thing I ever do if I have an idea. I write the book description and I see whether, first of all, if I'm having trouble writing it, then I know that there's something, um, that there's a sort of a logical gap there. Because if you can't write good sales copy about a story, then the story is lacking somehow, I think. You know, if you can't explain yeah. it, then, then there's something wrong with it. Um, so I suppose it's, again, something I learned, you know, that I think, um, you know, in, in large-scale businesses that, you know, writing a press release before you actually take a decision to do something, for example. Um, and that's the same with book ideas. I, I write that sales copy first. So that's number one. Um, number two, I suppose uh, I have to say, at this point that my husband is is almost like a developmental editor because he's someone who is first of all very honest he's a great reader himself hmm. 
and um, it's very good at bouncing ideas off. So I'm very fortunate in that regard because, again, that comes down to individual differences. Not everybody has that benefit, but they may have a very good friend or a family member or a very good developmental editor um, who can really understand the work and what you're trying to achieve with it and be able to to sort of see the hole in a story if there is one. Because it's definitely true that um, that's where the creative mind comes back in. You know, your business mind can be sort of switched off and you're focusing on the creative and of course there's a a beautiful upside to that in that you can create this fantastic story but the downside is also potentially not being able to see things as clearly as you would otherwise so it can be a sort of interesting dynamic but um, I'm very fortunate that I have that and it means that there's a brainstorming process that really tends to iron out any loopholes in a crime fiction story particularly after that yes we uh, do contract out you know we have um, an editorial team um, proofreaders I have you know I suppose you might say sort of expert readers who might have been police staff in the past you know they might have experience with ballistics things like that and and it's been absolutely wonderful to know how generous people are because they've often got in touch with me after the first couple of books and said I really enjoyed your stories if you ever need anything in the future just let me know you know so it's been um, yeah it's been fantastic I I think there's that sort of sense of community Mm. um, that I think indie authors have a real talent for tapping into that's wonderful yeah, so. I, was, I was going to ask where you found them, but they sought you out. That's that's terrific. <laughs> I love yeah, I know. Final question from Darius. Uh, Darius says, I'm a big fan of LJ stories, particularly the audio versions. The infirmary was a lot of fun. Uh, now, tell us about the infirmary, because wasn't that a multi-voice recording? It was, yes. Yeah. So that was with Audible Originals. Um, so multicast performance. It was with um, yeah Kevin Waitley, the wonderful Kevin Waitley, wow. playing um, the sergeant there, and um, Alan Armstrong, Tom Bateman, um, all that kind of thing. And yes, uh, I uh, had always thought to myself, because for those who aren't familiar, you know, with my series, Ryan, who's the main protagonist, had always had this arch nemesis, you know, who's uh, called the hacker. And when you enter the series in Holy Island, um, you know that bad things have happened, but it's all told, um, you know, in past tense, it's sort of flashback storytelling there. And so I thought to myself, um, at some stage, when, when their story arc is complete, which it was really by book five in the series, it would always be fun to go back and tell a more detailed story of how he first brought that man to justice, you know. Right. And so I had, I'd always sort of um, been jotting ideas about this prequel. And uh, then I was approached by Audible Originals and they said, you know, do you, do you ever fancy doing something like this? And do you have any ideas? And I said, well, actually, this might work really well on this occasion because I have a prequel idea. And, and so we started that discussion. And, um, and it was it was a really exciting process in terms of dramatization. I was very fortunate to be able to have script approval and to be able to, you know, um, you know, casting approval and things like that. So it was a fantastic, very involved process as well and and you know just to see how dedicated they were to the whole production um, and to probably you know everybody who goes through their door you know they really take a very um, dedicated and conscientious approach to whatever they're producing so um, and I remember you know going in to hear part of the recording um, and it was just it was a real delight to do um, so I'm really pleased that Ferris was enjoying that um, it, was, it was it was a really fantastic it would always go down as the first dramatic production of, of my work so that was a real nice milestone Fantastic. Now, I I hinted at this earlier, but you're setting up your own imprint. 
this is amazing news. Tell us how this came about and why you're doing it. Oh, yes. Um, so Dark Skies Publishing. Um, well, basically, up until now, all of my uh, print books have been available through KDP Print and Print on Demand. And, uh, you know, independent bookstores who've wanted them, libraries and so forth, have always been able to find them because I think where there's a demand, you know, there's always a way. Mm. Um, but you know they hadn't been available on high street stores you might say and, and more broadly and in terms of you know just being one person up until now i've, I've always sort of prioritized business in terms of, of where the need is and really the ebooks business as uh, just statistically speaking obviously takes up most of my time but now that you know things are, are very established and you know you're in a rhythm after five years i do still get a lot of readers who ask can i get it in waterstones and would it be possible to get it in the Smith? and so i started thinking about um print only and, and whether I should be looking, you know, more widely at, because um, I, you know, I'm very open-minded to these things. If a traditional publisher had wanted to do print only, then I, I'm not against that. But then I also started thinking to myself, well, actually, is there any reason why I couldn't handle this? You know, um, I'm familiar with territory now and I'm certainly not, um, not against a challenge. Um, it's that old non-conformism again. <laughs> um, I thought, well, Actually, yes, how hard can this be? And I started looking into the processes and obviously, um, you know, building relationships with um, gardeners, with virtuals, with all the distributors and understanding how that process works. And I suppose, crucially, how it works slightly differently to um, what I've been used to, which is, you know, just that instant print on demand and being able to move very, very swiftly. So that's an intriguing process. But actually, one of the key deciding factors for me in doing print runs was actually a lot of the non-profit work that I'm, I'm doing at the moment and that I'm hoping to do over the coming year. So I do, um, you know, various things. And one of them is, um, you know, say the Lindisfarne Reading Challenge, which is uh, working with secondary schools. And another project that I'm hoping to set up in the new year, which is um, to combat loneliness. And part of that was requiring a donation of books. And obviously it makes sense to begin with my own. And then I would be looking to have discussions with other authors and publishers and so on in the future. But in Northumberland, and it always starts at home, I think these ideas always stem from the world around you. And here in Northumberland, you know, it's an enormous county. And I started thinking to myself, all these readers who's, who've been getting in touch, relying on the stories to some degree, you know, to, to really um, escape. And I was hearing a lot of, of words like, the characters are my friends. And it really hit me that actually um, there is a sense of loneliness in some quarters. And what can I do or what can books do to further bring people together? And I know that the reading agency are doing some fantastic work with their Reading Friends project. And they work with the libraries on that score and things like that. And I, I thought to myself, how can I... Um, create something that works symbiotically with existing systems like that and part of that would be to try to um, encourage connections between readers and to donate a book of mine introduce people they opt in and, and use the book really as a talking point um, to go on and, and hopefully forge forward with a, a new friendship for example and it's particularly geared towards people who maybe aren't as mobile um, people who can't quite get out of the house things like that to use library services unfortunately so yes yeah, so that's something in the future but part of that obviously just at a very basic level was needing the books to be able to be printed at a very cheap cost so that I could help 
more people in the future. So that was uh, one of the reasons why I started looking to um, develop my own imprint to be able to kind of keep control of that element. Wow, that is amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Wishing you all the very best with that. And and lastly, we met uh, at the Kindle Storyteller Awards, but you also have your own award. This episode will be going out in January, but tell us about the Lindisfarne Prize, because I think the closing date is uh, the end of March 2020. How did this come about and how can people get involved? That's right. Well, yes. Um, so, again, you know, things starting in the region. I think that um, in the north, I, I think there's a some great uh, organizations like New Writing North and, and lots of others who are really working as I am to try to um, develop arts in the regions um, because you know I lived in London for 12 13 years and and there's a lot on your doorstep there in the capital um, but outside of that you know when you step in, stepping out into the regions I think there's just as much talent but not necessarily um, as much opportunity in the way of promoting you know regional arts so that was something that I was keen to do to um, to support my local crime festival for example we have um, the Newcastle Noir Crime Festival which is uh, really fantastic actually it's very big now and happens every May and so um, I had a conversation with the director a wonderful woman called Jackie Collins um, not the writer but <laughs> and uh, she yeah so uh, we work together so it's a, it's a prize in association with the festival and um, it's for debut writers of crime or thriller fiction and you can have uh, you can have written before um, but just uh, your crime or thriller fiction uh, has to celebrate the north or you yourself have to be from the north so it is a, a regional fiction prize um, but it's a, a cash prize two and a half thousand pounds it's also membership of industry bodies it's mentoring from a local um, a local publishing house it's as much hands-on as you need or want uh, as you go forward in completing your work and it's something that you know I was keen to do it's something that's open to people whether they want to go independent or trad I'm not asking that question at that time it's, it's about you know um, just promoting the, the completion of their work and most importantly as well it, it's an accessible prize because what I was finding when I'm speaking to um, budding writers whether it be at LBF or, or elsewhere is that there's a sometimes a sense that it's a rarefied world do I belong in the world yes. of, um, of writing mm. can I be an author and you know for me I, I want everybody to feel that um, you know it's open to them and really it is um, and so this is a prize that's intended for absolutely anybody at a, of any age if you feel you have a story in you then um, you know whack it in and, and we'll see and we'll enjoy reading it wonderful stuff uh, listeners will put a link to that in the show notes Louise thank you so much for your time today I know how incredibly busy you are uh, and sorry to keep you away from the cafe which has been getting busier in the background <laughs> um, yes and- sorry about that yeah well thanks very much for having me Mark our absolute pleasure and best of luck in the future thank you thank you bye we're noticing a bit of a trend here aren't we Mark yes <laughs> lawyers <laughs> thriller books yeah and millions yeah. of coffee sold it's quite phenomenal, isn't that an amazing, yes. amazing interview? How I mean, what how is, for most people getting one book in the top fifty would be a bit of a lifetime achievement award, wouldn't it? You'd kind of go, you'd say, okay, I'm pat on the back, I'm pat on the back. Well, yeah, I could, I could die a happy person. That's my favourite phrase when you do yeah. something that is just, yeah. I could go, I could die a happy person. Now. Mm. But f- sixteen books, yeah, that's pretty. Pretty damn phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, utterly, really, really good. Bonkers, absolutely bonkers. And I think it's really lovely as well that um, she set up this prize as well, because I think in some ways, 
when what we often see it's a, it's brilliant when people get to a certain level with book sales that they start to want to give back into the community and i think that's a really really wonderful thing that um you know we're seeing more and more of as well in terms of different but it's almost hard now to keep up with all the different awards that you can enter as a writer but i think it's a worthwhile process just to kind of gauge where you're at with things as well and if you do get nominated um that can be something that you can pop on the resume yeah. and, and carries with you right yeah absolutely and she's great like that i mean uh, also setting up her own imprint is is also about being able to give you know books to charities and what have you as as well so it's um no she's great she she's very clear that you know she's had some success but she's she's definitely because she's always at conferences and panels she was at the london book fair last year uh funnily enough quick plug for me i'm going to be at the london book fair this year on behalf of the podcast so if you're going to the lbf in march i'm not sure what day what time or anything yet but keep listening i'll have some more details soon uh, but i'll be doing a, an interview there uh, but yeah she's always at these events she's always giving stuff back and yeah she's you know a proper inspiration proper inspiration yeah absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant and you know we were talking a bit about timing of things as well and we had a discussion offline about authors that were published pre-ebook um and how their how they've their momentum if you've if you sold them lots of you know millions of books prior to the whole internet amazon ebook thing happening it, it's kind of been easy for them to keep keep their sales going the momentum going they're the, the usual suspects that you always see at the top of the charts when they release a new book and and that kind of window of opportunity in some way is closed. But we're also starting to see possibly a trend of new windows opening and closing within the ebook and the digital and the, and the indie Well, what well. I've noticed is a lot of the authors I've spoken to who've had this massive success, the Mark Dawson's, the Angela uh, Marsons, the, you know, the, the people who are in the publishing between, I would say, 2012 and 2015, that was the gold rush era. That was the sweet spot. That was when, if you spiked... Amazon algorithms, as as uh, as Louise mentioned in the interview, will help. They helped you along, and of course, there were far fewer self-published authors out there. So, you know, I, I think if you're listening to that, and and because I've spent the last year trying to plug the socks off the end of magic in America, and not having massive success, you know, it's not part of a series which doesn't help, but. It, it is so much harder. So if you're listening, thinking, "Well, that's not happening to me," I I think that the you know the the the, the ground the ground has changed the you know the, the it is it is harder there's no question that it's harder but the fact that people like louise are putting stuff back into the community like this i think you know if you hear a speak if you go and see a speak if you you know do her comp competition or what have you then it does increase your chances but it's um it is so much harder these days but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be having a go, you know, because if you, if you don't, if you don't Absolutely. put your hat in the ring, yeah. you, you're never going to win, are you? What I think we're in, we're in this really interesting period in history right now. And I do say the word history and, and don't mean that, you know, unlikely. It's actually a really important part of history. When we look back in 10, 15, maybe 50 years time, things will have settled down. But right now we're in this, in this period of change where every year we're, you know, people, Companies are coming and going. We're we're looking at different ways of having to market. Um, you know, things like Facebook come along and then change change the way we advertise. Amazon ads then opens up. There's all these different things, and eventually it's going to settle down. So it's a particularly challenging time, I think, for people. But that always is a, a possible opportunity as well. I think the people that are, are you know have got their finger on the pulse and look at where it might be going next. 
are likely to have the biggest advantage. And that's a, that's an area which would be worth exploring on the podcast, I think, as well, because it's almost like we're always chasing the the next formula. It's a bit like Google. They, they have a formula that, that is their algorithm for indexing whether, you know, how a site is ranked and how high up the search engine it will be. But they keep changing and tweaking the formula because people keep gaming yeah. the system, basically. And it's and and that's going to keep happening until eventually things settle down. And I think the same is happening with Amazon algorithms. People game the system and and then they try different different tactics and then Amazon catch on and they tweak and then that changes everything. So we're always kind of chasing the tail of of, of what's happening. But it shouldn't put us off because I think ultimately the fundamentals are still the same. You have to firstly write. You have to write something as good as you can write it. And then you have to market it as good as you can market it. And those three things are always going to be the case, regardless of what's changing in the world. So keep focused, keep writing, um, write a good book, write the best book you can today. And, and then when it gets to marketing, it's a case of then trying to work out what is the best way of marketing it today? Not necessarily what was the best way of marketing it last mm. year or three years ago, because it may have changed. And that's where we're constantly wanting to learn. So if you're... If you've had success, let's let's talk about people who've had success since mm. 2015. So if you started writing in 2016, 2017, 2018, even last year, 2019, and you're seeing you're seeing huge success, we want to hear from you because we want to learn what you're doing differently from, say, what people who started even 10 years ago did. Because I think that's partly our job, isn't it, Mark, to kind of unearth the changing trends. Absolutely. But also understand, yeah, understand what the fundamentals are. Yeah, there's no one way of doing this. And one of the things I liked about uh, Louise in the interview, she said she was a nonconformist. She didn't do anything the way things were supposed to be done. And I think if you take that, you know, that road less traveled, if you, if you try and be a bit inventive, it can, you know, it might work, it might not work. But um, as long as you're constantly going, forward and and enjoying the writing you know we know it's hard we know it can be difficult you can get stuck but i you know i i love my writing i love rewriting i i'm, I'm at the point where actually i like it when i have quite big story problems because i love the problem solving of it and um you know if you can keep doing that then uh, if you can do it for the love uh you'll you'll be happy i think yeah i think if people are writing a story and it's a grind and they're doing it because they want to just get a number one best-selling book mm. and they're not really even into their story. I think that's a road to unhappiness in the book writing world, right? Very much so. I mean, I've I've been listening back to some of our early episodes and uh, that became clear in the first few episodes. You know, when we toyed, you remember, we toyed with the idea of why don't we write something like Gone Girl? And like we neither of us read those kind of books and it would have just been this kind of cynical attempt to copy something. Uh, and as Juliet Ewer said, she said the readers would have seen right through it. You know, they'd have they'd have sussed us out in seconds. So we wrote something we were passionate about. So we have a book, Back to Reality, which we're both very, very proud of. Uh, and, uh, and and can we can look back on that whole experience as a... Well, we can laugh now, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> we can. And we do. Oh, my gosh, do we laugh. But you're right. There's something about it's kind of very similar to writing music. I go back and look at I've written many, many tracks in my life. But there's certain tracks that you go back to and you always you'll always listen to them. You'll always, and you always enjoy listening to them, even though at the time they might have driven you nuts. But like with that distance. And I think that that is the case with our book. I'll always look back at our book and reread our book and enjoy it. Because it feels authentic to yes. who we yeah. were then and who we are now, and so they talk about write what you know. So just we should we we want to encourage everyone keep on writing, write what you know, write what you love, be passionate about your work, and algorithms aside, a good but you can't 
put a good book down. You can't stop it from from breaking through and finding the audience it's destined to find, regardless of you know equations, algorithms, and how much you spend on advertising. Um, word of mouth still is the number one way that people discover books. And so if you've put your focus right now during the writing phase of your book into putting putting as much effort and skill and craft and all the things that you've learned from this podcast and other great you know podcasts out there and other courses, whatever you're doing, put that in to your writing today and trust that the right audience will find your book down the road. Wise words. Lovely stuff. So, Mr. State, do we have any interesting stuff on social media apart from BXP 2020? There's just so much BXP. It's kind of a bit swamping everything else right now, isn't it? Well, you know, we've um, we've got a bit of catching up to do. We've got a load of public declarations, uh, which came around about New Year's Eve. <laughs> oh, funnily enough. Right, so, Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read a few of them out. They're all in the diary. So if we don't, we have been a bit swamped. Um, so we don't read this out. Don't worry. It's in the diary. Don't worry about that. We will be in touch. Uh, particularly like this one from Kerry Oman. She says, by 31st December 2020, I'll, I will have written, write, write this down, 300,666,000 words. So 366,000 words, okay? If she, she says, if I win... I will pay the patronage for a year for a brand new patron to my favourite podcast. Uh, she said, that's right, the creative pen. No, only joking, it's the best-seller experiment. <laughs> Thanks, Kerry. <laughs> um, oh, that's brilliant. What she a says, lovely idea. Wait, 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 there's more. This go is, on, this is a on. kicker. If I fail, I will donate the same amount of money to a charity organisation that goes against my very values. I'll oh. post the comments before the end of the year and when I know which one it will be. So, Kerry, please, everyone cheer Kerry on. Save us. <laughs> I love it. That's what a brilliant, brilliant idea, Kerry. Thank you so much that's, for that. That's a great, and, uh, great, great, great incentive. Great motivator, yeah. isn't we it? We talked yeah. about that, didn't we, in the past on the podcast about having a penalty if you don't hit your target. That can sometimes be more of a motivation oh, to yeah. actually hit it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But what a lovely altruistic idea of, of gifting someone a, a patronage and access to the to the BXP team and, and all the other things we do. That's wonderful. No, it's great. A few more, Paul Arduin, who you heard giving questions uh, to, lots of questions to uh, LJ Ross in the interview there. Uh, he says, I will finish the first drafts of five books in 2020. Current plan wow. is for two 90K-ish mystery novels and three 60K-ish romances. Paul, that is great. That's five. I mean, five books. It's incredible. Five books. Absolutely that's amazing. Almost, that's almost getting up to Shannon Mayer kind of level. Yeah, writing, it really is. It? it really, really yeah. is. So good luck with that, Paul. That is in the diary. Uh, Laura Shep, this one's coming up, actually. Public declaration. First draft of my historical novel to be completed by 31st of March 2020. So, Laura, we're keeping an eye on that. Yeah, and I think she's doing pretty well because I've noticed Laura posting yeah. and saying that she's, she's, she's doing really well. So very, very inspiring, Laura. Keep it up. Yeah. Uh, we got one from Zach Urlocker. Uh, he said, I've greatly enjoyed the, the podcast over the last year. I binged a lot of the back episodes and became a backer. Thank you very much for that, sir. Somehow I missed a bunch of shows on my uh, on my app. Anyways, I've signed up for the 2020 challenge. 200 words seems too easy, but I understand the point of it, and hopefully many will, many will find it to be that way. I'm too easy. Now, come on, Zach, come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to finish the next version of the manuscript in January or February to submit to my publisher. Currently, the title is The Man from Mittelwerk by M.Z. Erlocker. So let's aim for 8.20 p.m. February 20th, 
2020. I don't know if it'll be the last draft, but draft, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Now you love a precise one, don't you, Mister D? You I love do. a precise time. So that one is in the diary, Zach. Thank you very much for that. And we must have a massive countdown on the front page of the website for that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Zach, you should put well, that on your website. Well, that's actually just yeah. given me an idea. Yeah, well, oh, my uh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. How about... Okay, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? A public declaration page that has everyone's names <laughs> as declared and a countdown clock. Ooh. I might have to put some thinking into that, Mr. Stay. Oh, what have fun. you done, Zach? What have you done? I know. Sorry, Giving Zach. him ideas. Um, <laughs> and uh, a message from Angela. Just a quick note to say thank you for your podcast and for the dedication you both have to the group. Uh, the bestseller came into my life last year when I was ill, physical and mentally, and was struggling to motivate myself to write, even though I really love it and have a supportive family. I binged all the episodes on my commute, and even when I was cooking dinner, your voices became a sort of anchor for me in the beginning, something to look forward to. Uh, the interviews have done have been inspiring and fun. Uh, I'm not sure if you knew that you would create the most amazing writing community when you set out, but it has blossomed. It's great to see and hear the BXP team support one another. Uh, on a very personal note, I want to say thank you. It means a lot, and I genuinely believe that 2020 will be my best year yet. Thank you so much for that, Angela. That really means a lot. It's, um, it's, it's, it's weird to think we're in people's ears. Uh, it's <laughs> I know, I know. It, that's stunningly beautiful email, Angela. And you know what? It's those kind of emails um, that that make me a little bit verklempt. I've got to say, I hear. I you don't really realise. You don't really realise um, the effect that a little bit of inspiration and motivation can have on people. And and we're starting to learn actually through all these incredible. Um, messages that we get especially from from the ones like that from angela just how much um how hard it is on your own and how important it is to have some kind of support group when you're a writer and um angela's mentioned bxp team there and that's you know she's part of that and it's a very very supportive community of very much like-minded individuals that love the bestseller experiment i mean it's a great place to come and hang out if you enjoy the podcast um, but hearing those emails, it really, they, do you know, it, I once heard a story about a, a teacher who would, you know, teachers have really difficult days. I mean, teachers do a really hard job, but every so often they get one of those emails, they're one of those letters from a student, you know, and they always start, you won't remember me, dear Mrs. Smith, you won't remember me. But, you know, 15 years ago, you taught me French and um, you said something to me once when I was feeling really really downhearted and it really changed the way I looked at the And for me, those kind of emails are those kind of letters that the teachers get from, from, from their students in some ways and it kind of keeps you going. And I think that it's in a way, it's kind of like people, I guess, experience it from a writing perspective of when they get a really beautiful review on Amazon. Somebody said, wow, this, this book made me cry or it changed my life. And, and I, I really encourage people to communicate those things to people because too often we think of people that have helped us in our life, but we've never actually told them how it's helped. And I think for me, those are the greatest emails. So I'm thinking now, if you have ever had, say, an English teacher, for example, that encouraged you to write or said you should really think about writing, you know, more than just, you know, in class, um, reach out to them and send them a little note and tell them how they changed your life. Because I know for me, when we get those emails, that they are the the best emails ever. So thank you, Angela, for sharing that. And uh, just to encourage everyone else to kind of share 
with people, mentors in their life, whoever they may have been, you know, maybe take the opportunity to just send them a note and let them know as well, because they never know otherwise. They never know. Mm, absolutely. The other thing that makes me very, very happy is when our listeners, particularly members of our BXP group, get published. And the book fairies have sent me a couple of books in the post recently. Uh, there's one from G.M. White, The Swordsman's Lament, which is epic fantasy stuff. When a prince is murdered, a legendary swordsman stands accused. And it looks absolutely terrific. And he's put in in the acknowledgements, he's put, uh, thanks to Mark Stan, Mark DeVoe, the bestseller experiment podcast for providing a treasure trove of information for aspiring authors, which helped give me the confidence to write and publish book. Also, more importantly, to the BXP team, the community that has grown around this podcast for their support, brainstorming prowess, and feedback on such things as blurbs and cover design. So there's one member of our group published a book, getting amazing reviews. It's just terrific. And then another member of the, the BXP group, published by Trapeze, which is an Orion imprint, Sam Eads. No Sam Eads of old. This is her imprint. She's editor of this book, Witness X by S.E. Moorhead. Silence of the Lambs meets Blade Runner. Her mind is the scene of the crime. And it looks absolutely amazing. So two of our group published in the same week. Just amazing. Fantastic. Brilliant. And also acknowledging the BXP team. I love that yeah. so much. Just terrific. Because it is a one in a million. So come and join us, folks. Come and sign up to support this podcast. Well, actually sign up to get into the BXP team because that's really that's the, the, value the most incredible yeah, value. Yeah. And yeah. as a result, you support this podcast, which then keeps us keep keeping bringing you podcasts, you know, regularly. So to do that, you simply go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. It's as simple as that. You will not notice it. It's a Starbucks coffee a, a month-ish, and you will not notice it. So so please come and support this community. Help us grow it further. Help us get more people enrolled in, in writing and BXP 2020 and um, make the group an even better presence with your presence. Nice, nice. It's, Excellent. Yeah. So we have some exciting things coming up. The next show that you will hear in two weeks as we're every two weeks now the next show that you will hear is our live show and if you'd like to be a part of that as mark said earlier simply pop over to again just sign up to the patron uh i'll, BXP. Put, I'll put a link in the show notes Links, as well so yeah. you can check it out there because um, this thursday at 6 p.m we're going to be recording that and if you sorry it's 6th of february at 12 p.m pst which is 8 p.m uk time and everyone else can work out their little slots. <laughs> so who invented time zones? It's so blooming confusing. Anyway, um, we'd love to have you on. We had a lot of new people come last time. They had an absolute blast. It's terrific. It really is fun. So come along. We're going to be doing some amazing, amazing discussions there. And um, so that's the next one you'll be hearing. We've also got a few more other things happening. We've got a lot of people lined up for the show. We've got quite a backlog of guests. We do. We've got some amazing authors like Steph Green, uh, B.A. Paris, Mel Sharrett, Aisha Malik. Uh, we've got one page punch ups coming up. I'm thinking of doing a romance special for that. And that's another perk if you're a chart topper patron. So uh, you can get a page from your work in progress read and critiqued by a major publisher editor. Uh, and that's proven to be amazing in the past. Uh, they get great feedback from that. So, yeah, we've got some really good stuff coming up, folks. So subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a rating or a review. That helps us become more visible. Um, thanks to our editors, Dave and JD. They make us sound great every week. If you want to get in touch, come and find us on social media, Facebook, Bestseller Experiment, although Facebook Messenger is hopeless. Uh, so drop us a line on Twitter or Instagram. We're at Bestseller XP on Twitter and Instagram at Bestseller XP too. Or just come to 
the website, you'll see a contact thingy there, a little drop down menu, and you can send us an email. And we do read them all, don't we? We certainly do. And if you want to get involved in a lifetime writing habit, simply join us on the BXP 2020 challenge at bxp2020.com. Go sign up now, do it. It'll promise you it'll be the best thing you do all year and possibly for the rest of your life if you <laughs> really are serious about writing. <laughs> We, we, we won't make any guarantees, but I'm, I'm almost getting to the point where I will guarantee that you'll write more words doing the challenge than if you don't do it. Well, so uh, yeah. please, I please can, get involved. I can tell you, seeing what's happening with Claire, she's so excited about her writing in a way that I've not seen since she did her children's books years ago. And she's, she's given me little hints of what she's written. And I am got everything crossed uh, she's going to be a major bestseller and I will be a kept man lying in a hammock for the rest of my life speaking into your podcast recorder <laughs> of choice exactly yes <laughs> absolutely it'd be perfect absolutely brilliant brilliant well listen everyone have a fantastic writing week thank you so much for spending your time with us today and letting us enter your ears and get inside your heads yet again <laughs> we really do appreciate it we do not take it for granted you have many other podcasts you can choose to listen to but we really appreciate the fact that you've come with us and you've got all the way to the end of this episode that makes you a superstar so thank you very much and have a great week mr stay you too sir it's a goodbye from mark one a goodbye from mark two goodbye goodbye, goodbye. Bye. Bye.